<laughs> I'm excited to be here. I say that almost every time I get on the stage. I say, I'm so excited to be here sharing the Word of God. But honestly, I really, really am. I, uh, I look out, and it, one of those most beautiful things that I see in, in, this, in this room is that the church in this room is sold out for Jesus. I'm not in a room having to convince or stir or rally. I'm in a room saying, hey, let's talk about the God we already love. Let's talk about the scriptures we already are passionate to discern about. And so it pumps me up. Hey, if you've got your Bible today, could you turn to Genesis chapter 11? We're going to start at verse 1. But if you haven't met me, my name is David Skimbury, and I get the joy of being on team here. Now, it is genuinely a joy to be a team here. Uh, throughout the last year we've been running, we have seen God move. We have seen him work in the lives of people, uh, doing some amazing healings. People who would otherwise never have known God now know God, and there has been breakthrough life and healing that they haven't just known about God, but they now know the God who heals delivers, brings liberty, hope, and freedom. And that is a joy to be a witness to. But more than that, we, are, we get to see God at work through people. And it's something really cool is that we see people in this church take the Great Commission seriously, where they say something good about God, something beautiful about God ought to be shared. And so I'm going to go to the people who would never come here, and I'm going to share with them the gospel they will never hear here. And it's amazing. And in terms of transitions, that's probably one of the finest, because we're starting a new series today. And the series we're doing is called Kingdom at Work. And it's literally about this very subject. That the kingdom at work could be a kingdom that is at work, where you work, what you do, or a kingdom at work through you and about. And you know, it's not one or the other, it's both. And it's a beautiful, so I'm excited. Today I'm going to take a few moments to open up what this series is about and uh, share, I guess, what it is that we're talking about when we say work. Is it just a nine to five? Is it unemployed, employed, what we're talking about? And, and, and hopefully by the end of this, we could celebrate that God is invested and involved in the work of our hands. I'm pumped. How about we jump straight into the scriptures? And after that, I'll kind of point it out and then we'll pray. It says this, Genesis 11 verse 1. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. I want to point something out here. This isn't just telling you something pretty like what materials they used. What they're saying is in this space, there was technological advancement happening. There was innovation taking place. And who knows that with innovation comes opportunity. And with opportunity comes places for work, community, and civilization to work in a fresh and new way. So how did these guys decide this innovation would affect community? They said this, uh, let's come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if there's one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You know that thing you do? You know, that thing you spend the vast majority of your time doing? You know, I don't know, maybe it's raising kids or, uh, I don't know, uh, building infrastructure or writing out contracts or doing some sort of barista work or hospitality. That thing you spend, maybe it's being a student or caring for your family. That thing that you spend the vast majority of your time doing, 
Have you ever had a moment where you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> Is this even worth it? Is this a waste of time? Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, a few years ago, I was at a, um, where there's a ministry called Red Frogs. And what Red Frogs is, is it's this really cool space where as people leave school, they often really like to party about that. And so they all congregate, like 20 to 30,000 people. Uh, and one place they congregate is surfers. And um, they're all coming uh, to, to drink alcohol, get drunk, and maybe do drugs. And, and who knows how that could damage and affect their lives. And so there's this ministry of Christians that go in and say, our goal is to go in and ensure it doesn't ruin their lives. So we're going to hold their hair back whilst they're vomiting. We're going to clean up their room so they get their bond back. We're going to walk them home so they're safe. Hey, we're going to do whatever it takes to ensure these people don't accidentally ruin their lives. Really cool ministry. We get called into a room, uh, and I knock on the door, and I'm like, you know, Red Frogs, hello. They let me in. And has anyone ever seen, like, a clown car? Like, you know those cars where they have, like, it's a tiny little thing and 15 fully grown men walk out? And you're like, what the freak? So, so this, this is what this room was like. We walk into the room, and out of every corner and crevice, people are just walking out. And I'm like, there are 400 people in this room. It's about this big. I don't understand. And so we, we, we wade through the people. We get to the bathroom. There's a girl in the bathroom. She's over the toilet, like, vomiting, and she is not doing well. And she's like, I'm blind. I'm drunk. Help me. And we were like, okay. So I sent my two female leaders to sit with her. While she's sitting, whilst they're sitting there, uh, I'm chatting to the guy uh, who, who led us into the room. He's pretty cool. He kinda, he's the one who called us. He saw there was an issue. He wanted to respond. We were just chatting. And um, the girl started getting better. I think she just needed a couple of people. She needed to feel like it was a safe space. So the girl started feeling better, and I'm just chatting with this guy. We're preparing to leave, and this guy <laughs> drops, starts having a seizure right in front of me, convulsing. I was like, this is out of my pay grade. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Luckily, I had a nurse on my team. Can we just pause for a minute? How amazing is the healthcare profession? How amazing are our healthcare professionals? Definitely deserve a clap. Um, hey, do you know what? We love healthcare professionals, and we're going to take a moment at the end of the service to pray with our healthcare professionals. Why? Because it's always been one of the most important and one of the most difficult jobs in our world, and that's more true than ever today. So we're going to take a minute, and every week over this series, we're going to be praying for different professions, fields, and industries, but today we're going to make sure we start by praying for this one, and I'm excited for that. But there we were, this nurse who happened to be on my team, and I was very blessed by that, stepped in and started looking after this guy, seizures. He starts going non-responsive. That's not good if you don't know doctor terms. That's bad. And so he starts going non-responsive for like minutes at a time, and then he would come back, and he would writhe in agony, like screeching and like doing all weird things with his body, like contorted, like in agony for like 30 seconds at a time, then bang, I'm responsive. The uh, paramedics come, they take him away, and a few days later, we learn what had happened. He had been walking to Macca's, and he wanted a cheeseburger, and on the way to buying this cheeseburger, he met a person he didn't know who offered him a drug for $10, and he thought, hey, it's schoolies, why not? So he bought the drug, took the drug, and the doctor said the drug was lined with paint stripper. And so it was eating away the inside of his stomach. The doctor said if the team hadn't been there and able to respond as quickly as they did, this kid probably would have died. And I was struck by that comment because what hit me was we didn't even come into that room for him. He's the one who called us in. He was the perfectly healthy one. We came for another girl who by the time he left, she was dandy. She was fine. But God had orientated, positioned us to be in that room at the right place at the right time to save a human being's life. Because that's our God. He's a God who's at work, right? Do we believe that? Come on. Okay, so I go to work a few days later. 
I was working at a pharmacy at the time. Now, I said I love healthcare professionals. I do. Uh, I really do believe it's a calling, though, and it wasn't one for me. And so I, I worked there for five years. I hated it. Um, and my boss and me just, we didn't see eye to eye, probably because I didn't enjoy the job, and it was obvious. And he started grilling me about something that I was annoyed by, and I was in this space where I was like, stuff this. God is real. He's big. He's doing things. He's crazy cool. And so what am I doing? Wasting eight hours a day packing shelves and talking to customers and selling vitamins. Stuff this. And so I brought my resignation the next day, dropped it on the table and quit. A few months later, I was sitting with God. And he's, a, he's quite patient. I don't know if you've noticed. And um, he kind of schooled me on it. And he said, do you realize that you just took the time to make me so small? So small too small to be involved in the ordinary, in what could seem mundane, in what can seem boring. Too small to think that I could be big enough to saturate your workplace, your eight hours a day, saturate your work, move powerfully. And I was like, wow. As I read the story with the Tower of Babel there, I see a people who they don't tell us about the situation of their faith, what they know, what they don't know. What they tell us is these people didn't invite God to be involved in this situation. They were too busy thinking what they were doing, that was a work for them to do. And they didn't even consider the idea of inviting God in. And you know, I, I hear secular people justify and explain the story, right? Secular people would say, well, this is the Christian origin story, the Christian origin myth of how people were scattered all around the world. Except I read this verse right here that says, um, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? So that we may make a name for ourselves. Why? Otherwise, we're going to be scattered over the face of the whole earth. It was already happening, naturally. This isn't a story about how people supernaturally got scattered around the earth. That was the natural phenomena. That was the outcome that was meant to happen. So this is a story about something deeper. It's a story about a people who refused to submit and bring what they were doing and trust that God could care. It's a story about a people who said, no, no, this is about making my name great and I don't want to invite God in. The, the, the scattering was just a, a side effect. And so for a few minutes today, all I want to do is I want to talk about what it is, what is work? What is God talking about? What is this weird thing? And I want to talk about the problem with work because we all know work isn't as fun as it should be. And then we're going to talk about the redemption of work. That is, does Jesus have anything to do with it? Right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you're in this room. If you weren't, this would be a speech. And I cannot be bothered to waste my time doing a speech. I'm so grateful your spirit's at work. I'm so grateful you have a purpose and a plan for the souls, the people, the bodies who have walked into this room today, whether they're expecting it or not. And I'm so grateful, God, that you are a God who is, who is interested in every facet of us, who is so big, you can't help but fill every part of our lives, no matter how small those parts are. You're so big, like, like the ocean, you can't help but flood every crack and every crevice. You're so in love with the people in the world you've made that you're present, you're at work, and we can all leave this place, place believing that something beautiful is about to take place. Stir faith in us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, so let's, let's reread Genesis 11, chapter, uh, verse 4. Uh, the first half of it, he says this. Then they said, Come. Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Now, I don't know if there are any experts in ancient city building, but I did myself a little bit of research before I uh, jumped in and started writing this sermon, and I found out something unexpected. City building in ancient times was hard work. 
unexpected, right? In fact, it was such hard work that it wasn't the normal outcome. In fact, until the 1800s, that is the Industrial Revolution, most people were farmers. Why? Because that was the easier option. And yet in this story, the whole world comes together and seems to agree that they want to put the work in and do something weird and hard and difficult and build a city. Let me give you some examples of why it's hard. Have you ever thought about what they did with their waste? Sanitization, policing, public order and disorder. It would only take one person with leprosy to walk through that city. Done. Right? Building a city, let alone building a city that stands. Like, we're a couple of days later, and we still struggle to keep our buildings standing. Like, I mean, this is, this is real. And yet they said, let's do the work. We're in. We're going to do it. Why? It's like they had a natural inclination to do work. It's like some part of them was just driven. They were just like, yeah, this is what we do. We work. We do things with our hands. We spend our lives doing something. Genesis 1.28 says this, God blessed them, that is human beings, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Genesis 2.15 says this, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Before sin, before redemption, before Jesus had to die on that cross, before prophets and before preachers, and before church services on a Sunday. This was what the people of God were doing. That's huge. This is what it meant to be a people of God in a perfect world. What? What did it look like? It looked like they were building a community, building a society, increasing population, making that beautiful, caring for the creatures in the world, caring for the world itself. In other words, human beings were taking every bit of influence they had to care for everything God had given them and crafted and created that they could influence. And that is the work we're talking about. Building a society, preserving it, cultivating it, bringing about harmony, uplifting, edifying, making people understand how, benef- how, how vital and beautiful their existence is. That is the original work human beings were called and designed to do. So if you're in this room and you're like, I'm unemployed, I'm a student, I'm a, a stay-at-home parent, does that not apply to you? And when we talk about work, we're talking about you. This isn't a, did you sign a contract one day? God didn't come down to Adam and Eve and say, hey, quickly sign here and here and here. And here's your, you know, superannuation forms. Okay, you're employed. Now let's talk about work, right? He didn't do that. He said, I've crafted you because I love you and I want you to exist and you're beautiful. And with the hands, I wanted to give you purpose and give you something to do with your time and help you participate in my beautiful work. Um, and let's be honest, God didn't really need us, but he wanted to give us a space to participate in his plan. And so he invited us in and gave us a work to do. That's cool. That is good news. Genesis 11:4. the whole thing says this. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we're going to be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Man, the authors of this couldn't even finish the sentence about human beings doing something without throwing in why it was sinful. 
Right? Creating a name for ourselves, what does that mean? That means this, what we're doing here is about making me look good and me look big and letting the world remember me. And you know what happens when you start saying, I'll be the best, right? There's always someone who's trying to be better, which means there's competition, strife, adversary. There is now a moment where I'm going to have to feel validated by squashing someone else and competing with them. Oh, that isn't good news. Suddenly it doesn't sound as pretty. In fact, the authors of Genesis chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and the first half of 11 do everything in their power to show again and again how sin has affected and corrupted every one of us. And not just like it's a nice surface level, like my toes are in the water kind of corruption, but how deep. Every time you think, wow, that's abhorrent. It couldn't get worse. Suddenly it gets worse. And so in here, as the, as the conclusion to this section of the Bible, he isn't writing about human beings being scattered. He's writing about how sin has invaded and affected even the works of human hands. And how it corrupts our motivations and how it's ultimately futile. And it's no big reveal, right, that Christians believe in sin. No one in the room went, oh, wow, sin, that's bad. Like everyone in the room was like, yeah, this is the thing Christians believe. We believe there's a brokenness. We believe there's a hurt. We believe there's something in the world that's destroying and corrupting in the souls and in the hearts of the humans we meet. But here's what blows my, my brain. We believe it, and yet we're always shocked by it. Why? Because it's still not the norm. It's still not what we were designed for. It still goes against every single grain of our being because we weren't designed for the suffering and the pain. Genesis uh, chapter 3, uh, he says this. Uh, and you know what, first of all, it makes me laugh because uh, in the Bible it says we were crafted for a work before sin, right? And, and, and then it says we were crafted for a work for all eternity. And I don't know about you guys, but when I think about that, it's, it's, it's not so much heaven for me. I, I think of, oh, I have to work for all eternity? Uh, like, that sounds tiring, exhausting somewhat. That sounds somewhat like I need an eye-rolling amount of grit to do it. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, that you must not eat it. Cursed, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. E.g., you will eat your food until you die. Since from it you were taken, um, you, for, you, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Do you get this? Work became hard. It wasn't always hard. Work became hard. Do you know this idea of painful toil? I don't know about you guys, I read that like this stripping back, like, like you, you're pressing against the wind and the wind is taking off every layer of sanity. Like, like I don't know if anyone else's workplaces have ever been like that, but I've worked in the places before where I've experienced like you're walking against a storm and it's like ripping down your energy, ripping down your, your sanity. Thorns and thistles, what's it saying? Has anyone here ever gone fruit picking and they've reached to grab it and they've been stabbed by a thorn? It doesn't feel nice, but it's never just one that seems to hurt you. It's, it's like there are 15 of them. You know, there's one thorn, there's a few. And it's the thing, it doesn't kill you, but it makes it bleeding difficult to pick strawberries, right? I didn't even know if strawberries have thorns. I made that one up. Um, <laughs> I have no clue. Um, but the point is, like, like, this is what it's saying. In everything we do, in all of the work we're doing, things are going to come up and just poke and just make life hard. And the very thing we're trying to achieve will be the thing to make it difficult. So whether we're doctors or engineers or stay-at-home parents, everything we do, it just seems like the thing we're trying to do is permanently rebelling against us. 
It's frustrating and irritating. And oh, it makes me mad anyway. I don't know about you guys. And then it says, sweat of our brow. What does that mean? Easy. It's exhausting. Working is going to be exhausting. And then there's this last bit. Which says this, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Everything it's saying here is like, this is just the basics to survive, and then you die. It's rough. It is brutal. It's just like, you'll eat your food, and then you're going to die anyway. Done. Full stop. Kaput. It's futile. Even the work we're trying to do doesn't work. And do you see this story? God crafted us for a work. What was the work? It was to nurture and care for the world he made. And then that very world is now rebelling and turning on us and tearing us down and ripping us down. And everything we were called to craft as we rebelled against God, it has rebelled against us. And now what do we have? We have flipping locusts and we have like mosquitoes and diseases and, and storms and also, like sickness and all sorts of horrible things going on. And then, like I said, you eat your food and you die and it's futile and ineffective. And this is what's happening to these people in the Tower of Babel. They're like, I am terrified of being scattered. And so I'm going to do a work to make sure I don't be scattered. And the very fruit of their sinful work is that they became scattered. It's like... Working on earth, being a human, and having to work is frustrating. Sin has caused the work of our hands and our hearts to be dissatisfying, unfruitful, and difficult. And that's real. And yet it's still, at its core, a beautiful gift from God, corrupted by sin. Genesis 11, 5-6, But the Lord came down. I love those words. Whenever we see things like this in the Bible, we celebrate. We cheer a little bit inside. Because when the Lord comes down and we invite him and he's coming down relationally to be invited in, what happens is when we, we do and we say, God, yeah, that's right. You're here. You're God. I'm not. I'm going to trust you. Good things happen. Freedom comes. Liberation comes. Relationship comes. Redemption comes. It is a good thing for people when the Lord comes down and we say, that's right. You're the Lord and I'm not. And so the Lord comes down and he sees the city and the tower that people were building, except they weren't involving him. And they didn't want him involved. They were building it for themselves, not for God. They were convinced that they were the chief object of their worship, not God. And the Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan. And in the context of scripture, those previous chapters Nothing they plan is not just being like, oh, they're planning to build a nice family and they're planning to build an iPhone. It's talking about something in the context. If you've been reading the scripture linearly, like from the beginning to this point here, you suddenly realize that the Bible has taken every effort to betray every single plan of the human heart as corrupt and broken and about me competing with you for my benefit and my glory and I will stomp on you if I have to. That's the story. And so we see people trying to build their own empires, compete with one another, live out of insecurity, live out of fear, live out of greed. People who are, who are like literally trying to dominate one another as a form of self-validation. And I say it frustrated, but then I realize I do this. And I think if everyone in the room was like, yeah, actually, man, I, I feel that in my soul. I feel the insecurity and the drive in my soul. My work is corrupted. The point of my life is corrupted. So God's like, man, everything they plan, all the destruction and brokenness they plan to do, I'm going to have to make it impossible for them. Why? Because I love my people so much, the very people who are sinning, that I will not satisfy, I will not settle for people destroying themselves. 
And the only good thing I can do in this moment is scatter them. Because when they come together, the destruction and the chaos and the pain is going to be real. I ain't for that. I ain't for that. And so it led to the scattering. The very thing they're working to avoid was the very thing they brought upon themselves. And I don't think that this story that we've read so far is that wild or outlandish, right? Everyone in the room is like, man, I get it, right? God crafted us for work. The work was corrupted. You know, for me personally, uh, I finished working at the pharmacy and then, you know, and I was passionate about, you know, seeing God move and there being a revival, except the problem is I still needed a job. Um, so I had to go get a job. And so I became a barista, and I loved that job to pieces. It was definitely more my pace, um, but I was still struggling with God. It feels like I'm wasting my time. Like, where are you? And, I, I, and like, I love God to pieces. I, he's such a beautiful God. One of the reasons I love him to pieces is because he puts up with me, and that is such a gift to my soul. And so daily I'll get up and terrorize him and be like, God, flip me, what's going on? And then eventually, after a period of time, God began to respond, and, I, and he started to teach my heart that maybe God could work in Zarephas. Maybe God could work as me being a barista. Maybe God could work through me into the customers' lives and my workmates' lives. Maybe what I'm doing was actually a spiritual and holy calling, and I was like, God, yeah, what, right, whatever. But then slowly he convinced me of this. And I remember this one day, I was like, Lord, I'm struggling to believe it. If this is a place you're at work, I I pray that it would be a spiritual thing. I pray your spirit would flood and fill me. And I pray that the fruits of the spirit would go before me. And I'm praying that people with our enter would feel the peace of the Lord, the peace of the spirit. I get to work. I'm working for an hour, and this beautiful Christian lady comes in who, you know, she comes in twice a day. She was a very much so a regular. And um, she's, uh, she makes a joke. She's like, oh, look, the A-team's on, and I'm working with the owner. And um, she's like, oh, look, the A-team's on. And, and the owner turns around, Danny. She turns around and says to this lady, she goes, yeah, working with David. Every time he comes in, I just feel such a sense of peace. I was like, I prayed for this like an hour ago. Like, God. I love it. There's a quote I love. It's like, when you pray, coincidences happen. When you stop, they stop. I'm like, God, I literally just prayed for this. What, what on earth? You are at work. This is something you're able to work in. Except for some weird reason, we still have this tendency to take this box here and put our Sunday mornings and our, our morning you know, routines and our time with Jesus and our Bible reading and our praying in this box. And then in this box over here, we put everything else. We put, our, we put our workplaces, we put our relationships, we put our hobbies, we put our road rage. We do everything in this box right here. And we say, that's our, that's our not Jesus box and this is our Jesus box. Except that doesn't work. It, it can't. Like if we read Genesis chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, the first half, then we see that the story of Scripture is that sin has infected every single part of our hearts. You can't just be like, Jesus, come into this bit, this bit, and this bit. I want you to heal that. And then we're crying out, why am I feeling so much brokenness, God? I thought you were meant to be healing me. And you're like, God's like, open the box. Let me in. Like this is the story of Scripture. And so, like, Christianity is holistic. It has to be. And so God's like, man, I want to step in. I want to heal every part of your broken heart, every part of your wounded soul. I want to be the one who steps in and shows you who I am and how good I am, but you have to let me in. There can't be two boxes. There has to be one. And what this tells me and what this means is there's no part of our lives Jesus is neither getting rid of or redeeming. Right? Getting rid of means it's sinful. It's anti the kingdom of God. It, and, and, and sometimes our workplaces can be sinful. Sometimes our relationships can be sinful. Sometimes the things we're doing with our hands can be sinful. And those things we actually need to get rid of. But for the most of us, the things we're doing with our hands aren't sinful. We've just made them secular. 
And God's like, do you not get it? I'm trying to redeem that. Let me in. So we ask questions. Like, does what I do matter to Jesus? And we ask questions like, man, like, Jesus, do you even care? Like, is it possible that what I do could bring the kingdom in? I'm just like, I know, I work in admin right now. I'm like, God, is it possible that the admin I do could possibly see the kingdom of God come in? Because like, yes, resoundingly. You, you see throughout the scriptures in the New Testament, there are a group of people called to be revival workers, and then everyone else that gets saved was called to be community builders. And these people were staying in their cities, doing their jobs, working hard to the uplifting of their community that people may see a Christian workforce, a Christian community, a Christian people who are so convinced that God can move through everything they do because he's a God who is able to redeem the work of our hands no matter how small it is, that we become a people the world sees and sees flourishing in a unique and beautiful way. And they say, what's going on there? And suddenly the gospel's got an opportunity to speak. And even if it didn't, Life, hope, healing, edification, the uplifting. People having a life and it looks a little bit more like Eden and a little bit less like brokenness. That's enough. That's enough. In Colossians 3, 23, it says, whatever you do. It doesn't say do this and do this and do this. It says, whatever you do. You're an engineer, whatever you do. You're a doctor, whatever you do. You stay at home, mom, whatever you do. You stay at home, dad, whatever you do. You're a student, cool, whatever you do. You hearing this? Whatever you do, you're a, vo- you're a volunteer or, or, or like you care for a family. Whatever you do, you're getting it yet. Yeah, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, right? Uh, that's Colossians 3.23. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, which means artwork, which means masterpiece. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good works that he prepared beforehand for us to do, which means that with all of our life, in the whatever we do part of our life, and we're bringing this to Jesus, the whatever we do part of this, he has prepared in advance for his glory and his goodness to shine through it, because it's not just a work, it's a good work. Would you, could we as a people go to work today and tomorrow and say, no, this isn't work, this is a good work. This is a holy work. This is a redeemed work. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, whether in word, or indeed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so we see at the end of the story, the Lord comes down. And there are heaps of ways throughout the Bible the Lord comes down. One is uh, he came down and made everything and walked with us and it was beautiful. Another way he came down was in sin. He comes down like Genesis 3 relationally and he, you know, what's going on? And, you know, we, we keep rebelling because we suck at not rebelling. And he's like, man, if you could just taste the problem of your sin, turn back to me and trust me. And so we experience what the Bible calls judgment and that happens. But another way he comes down is to bring liberation, redemption, and relationship. And this is a way he comes down that, that, that is ultimately, you know, um, crescendoed in the name of Jesus. See, all the way through the Bible, there are hints and images and, 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 and examples of this liberating work of Jesus. In fact, everything throughout the Bible points to Jesus. But then Jesus does the work so that today we can experience that freedom, that relationship, that hope, that redemption. Where? Everywhere. Where? In our workplaces. Where? in the work of our hands, where in our raising of our children. And this is huge. And so we have the power to do two things every single day when we go to work. Two types of work. 
And the first, and I'm going to say the most pressing to me, and I hope it's the most pressing to this room, is the work of witnessing the kingdom of God to the people we meet. It's the work of being so obsessed with the goodness of God that we can't help but be sharing that uh, with everyone we meet. I, I believe there may be people in this room who work with people they've given up on. Or maybe they, they have family members they, they, they don't believe will ever be saved. Maybe they have friends who they think there's no way. They're just too hard-hearted. And right here, God's like, that's not it. That's not my story. This isn't what I'm calling you to. A good work, right? A good work. I'm calling you to believe that the kingdom of God is at work in that person's life. And I'm calling you to continue to press on, to sow seeds, to water seeds. And when the time is right, should you get the privilege to harvest seeds? At the end of the day, our world is filled with people in need of the gospel. I don't know, if anyone in this room isn't sold out that the gospel is something worth having, then I'm just going to come pray with you afterwards because can I just say, every experience of the gospel I've ever had has led me to fall more in love with Jesus and less in love with myself in this world. And every time I encounter a moment with Jesus, I find myself somewhat more healed and somewhat uh, somewhat less broken. And I know a lot of people in this world who is hungry for a whole lot more healing and a whole lot less brokenness. And I'm like, oh... How dare I not share this with them? So our workplaces, first and foremost, the first work we're invited to do is kingdom bringing in the way we share the gospel and the good news we have in every opportunity through the way we love and preach. And then the second work is the re-Edenization. Fake word made up, heard in a sermon once. But it means something. It means to make more like Eden. It means to bring us back to the paradise into the image of eternity we're longing for. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus has a, a friend who dies. And the shortest verse in the whole Bible is Jesus saying, it says this, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You're like, well, what does it got to do with anything? Jesus wept. He was gonna raise him back from the dead in a few moments. Why did he weep? Because in the moment, the suffering and the pain and the death was worth weeping over. Do we not understand that the reverse is also true? Yes, God is going to do away with this society. Yes, He's going to do away with the brokenness of this world. Yes, it's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and eternity. But right now, there are people who need to be wept over because of their hurt and their pain. And there are people in this world that our work of our hands is producing more comfort and more life and more hope and more uplifting and more stability and more freedom. And you may be like, oh, no, I just build houses. I'm just a carpenter. You build houses. People need those. Like, what the heck? Oh, I'm just a psychologist. I listen to issues every day. Are you kidding? Like, do we see that the work of our hands first and foremost need to be worked unto the Lord? Because ultimately the work we do is eternal. Because it eternally matters the way we make the human beings in our society experience life. So when I go to work, I have to remember that my God is able to make holy the work I do to bring a light, that there is a space and this moment when I go to work that I remember that heaven is rejoicing over what I do. And for as long as it's a work that is uplifting and bringing life to communities and bringing life to people and building communities and society and caring for our environment, for as long as it's in that bracket of, of, of Eden's paradise work, I know for a fact that the God in heaven is filling it. And if I just choose to say, no, 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 today I ain't going to work. Today I'm going to a good work. Today I'm going to do a holy work. Today I'm going to be in to see what God's doing. I will celebrate and I will rejoice. And somehow I will have a supernatural 
endurance for the parts that might otherwise seem mundane or boring or pointless. And our hope as a church, we can see that the kingdom of God is at work. It's at work in us. Every day as we come before him, healing bits of our lies and our brains that are like believing things not about God. But I hope we can also believe that the kingdom of God is even able to work through us. In all of our brokenness, in all of our weakness, in all of our failures, he is able to work through it. Why? Because Jesus is enough. And this is huge because if Jesus is enough, then he can redeem my workplace and he can redeem the work of my hands. And he can redeem the work of all of our hands. So we're going to pray. And what we're going to do here is we're going to first of all pray for the people in that community who are healthcare professionals. That means chiropractors. That means like, like uh, psychologists. That means psychiatrists. That means pharmacy assistants. They need the prayer. That means pharmacists. That means anyone in any medical field at all. That means people studying to be nurses or doctors or GPs or surgeons. Everyone, whoever's in this field, we're going to ask them to stand. Not yet. We're going to ask them to stand and we're going to pray for you because we believe in the power of prayer. And then... We're going to pray for the people in this room who believe in Jesus. Because if you're in this room and you say Jesus is king, then let me tell you something. There's something you're doing with your weeks, which means there's a work you're doing. And we're going to pray that you could begin to see that it is a holy work, a God-infused work, a God-rejoices-over-you work, and a space for the gospel to be proclaimed. And then we're going to pray for the people in this room who maybe haven't even met Jesus. And they've rejected a Jesus that isn't even the Jesus of the Bible. They've rejected, rejected the, the Jesus their parents taught them or rejected the Jesus Simpsons or Facebook taught them. But they've never encountered the Jesus of the Bible. And we're going to pray for a minute. We're going to give a space for a minute that if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, you can begin to sense, see, and taste his goodness. And who knows where that leads. So how about this? If you're in this room and you are a medical professional, would you be bold and stand? I ain't just talking about GPs and doctors. I'm talking chiropractors. I'm talking surgeons. I forget all the different fields. There's a lot. So if you're in this room and you work in the medical field, if you're an aged care person, I'm not sure what they're called, then that's you. Like, if you're in this room and your job is to care for human beings in a way that means their health, then this is you. Take a stand. Cool. Hey, we're going to pray for you. And if you're in this room and you're not that person, but you see that person, you can't touch them, COVID, but reach your hand out. Let's pray for them. Let's mean it. Lord God, I thank you so much that you know these people by name and you know the work they do. That God, you are aware and in love with the healing. In fact, I know for a fact you care about this healing because it's one of the things you did the most when you came to this earth. And so you are passionate for your healthcare workers. You are passionate for these people. You are passionate about the work they do. And I thank you, God, that it is our holy work and we would be absurd to think anything less. I pray right now you'd be filling with a supernatural strength, a supernatural fire, a supernatural refreshment. I pray right now you would be giving them a supernatural wisdom and discernment as they work. I pray right now you'd be giving them new levels of knowledge, new levels of, 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 of wisdom in the way they do what they do, of passion and empathy and of care. I pray right now that they would be feeling valued and cared for by the people around them. And I pray right now as a community, we may uplift and champion these people in a fresh and more beautiful way because they deserve it. So God, come and fill. Spirit of God, thank you that you love what they do. Come and fill. As you take a seat and as we stay in this period of prayer, I'm going to do it out of order, but I'm going to ask if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, this is your moment. Your moment. And if you're in this room and you do know Jesus and you zone out right now, oh, that's not right. Stop praying. 
because there are people in this room who may not know Jesus and your prayers right now are powerful. So stop praying. And if you're in this room and you're like, I don't know Jesus, I've been in church for 20 years and I know about him, but I don't know him. If you're in this room and you're like, I've never stepped, church, stepped into a church before in my life, I'm not even sure why I'm here. This is you. It's your moment. And I want to pray for a second that you would have an encounter with God, but it starts with you saying, God, I'm open. And if you're really there, and if you're really real, and if you're really that good, and if you really care that much, and you're really that able, then I'm going to wait my moment. And I'm open to what you're going to do. I believe God's at work. I believe there are going to be stories of salvation. Come on. Come on. And as you seek the Lord, and you invite Him in, you say, God, I'm open to whatever you're going to do. Maybe for the first time in my life, I'm like, God, okay, if you're not the God I thought you were, then who are you? At least just tell me that. Come on. And as we pray in the spirit of prayer, if we stay in the spirit of prayer, I want to pray with the people in this room who believe that Jesus is king and he is able. And then when God says Jesus is enough, we will be a people who believe Jesus is enough, even to redeem the work of our hands. So I'm going to invite everyone in this room to stand. The whole room is there able. The team is going to lead us in a, in a, a, a song of worship. And what we're going to do is we're going to listen to that song of worship and declare those words as we mean them. And it's a song that invites us to look to Jesus, to observe his goodness, to observe the unique pattern of his work. How is the ultimate king of all kings, he was the one who served us. And he says, now I don't just want you to observe, I want you to participate. So as we sing, we're going to ask that God would begin to reveal how he does work and how he works in our work. We're going to ask that he would begin to reveal his glory and his goodness and his care for our work to us and, and, and about the people in our work around us. Before we do that, let's pray one more time. Father God, I thank you that you're in this room with the people in this room who know you. I thank you, God, that you have not abandoned nor forsaken nor given up. And if there are souls in this room that have given up and are dead or defeated in the fact that you may be a God at work, that you may be a God in their student life, that you may be a God able to redeem whatever it is, even their job just for the now, just for the in the middle. That God, you are a God who is able to work. And we would be a people who believe that. And I just, I just pray, God, that we would be stirred by the holiness of God to know that you are so great and so big you can't help but redeem and saturate our entire lives to the healing and the glory of you. So stir and spirit pour and spirit fill. In Jesus' name.